Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at the theme of gender in Star Wars. So to start out our discussion, we wanted to use a quote, and this quote comes from The Last Jedi. Leia is talking with Poe, and she demotes him. He's not really happy about being demoted, and so she says, Poe, get your head out of your cockpit. There are things you cannot solve by jumping in an X-Wing and blowing something up. Yeah, Poe. Yeah, Poe, and Luke, and Han, and Anakin. Really, a lot of people could use that. Basically, almost all the guys. (laughs) (laughs) With the exception of, like, Yoda. With the exception of a few masters, like Jedi Mm -hmm. masters. They're all quite a bit like this. (laughs) And even even that's a few, where, you know, Mace finds out that there's a uh, a Sith Lord, and he's like, well, time to go arrest him. You know, it's the the Jedi equivalent of jumping in an X-Wing. Yeah. Well, and then it's like, we can't take this to the Senate. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> mm, not, not the best way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that it's, it's called out here because I think so often in Star Wars, it's not. It's just somehow always works out, yeah. um, which we, is we, not we destroyed really the the Death Star, and sure, only four ships came back from the battle, but we're going to celebrate and have a, a ceremony where everyone's happy and clapping and not talk about, you know, how we lost Alderaan and all these pilots and all these other kinds of things. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that this shows also why, why episode eight is such a commentary on the other Star Wars movies in that mm-hmm. it starts with the destruction of a dreadnought and sees that as a negative rather than a positive and is addressing that as Poe's story, which which I think was was very well done. Yeah, absolutely. And also showing that Leia in leadership has more wisdom or foresight than some others might have that mm-hmm. were leading the rebellion before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And her as as General Organa, I think is is so important and clear in that film which uh i do appreciate exactly and i mean it's it's just a great line slash pun (laughs) (laughs) there there is certainly some innuendo involved there which i appreciate (laughs) (laughs) well why don't we get into our analysis what what character did you bring to talk about so i know a lot of people don't like star wars episode eight and i don't understand because it, it shows nuance to war and it shows when things don't work out Mm. which is common it addresses the the areas in which archetypical understandings of good and evil and and systems of oppression are are more much more nuanced exactly and and you know if you go back to our our war in star wars episode most Mm. of the criticisms we're making uh in that episode uh aren't quite the case with the last Jedi. Yeah. And so going uh, along with that also comes the wonderful character of Rose Tico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about her specifically because she is the first named female Asian Star Wars character to be in any of the movies. Mm. And the only good example of feminism that is like actually intersectional in a way that also cuts across 
stereotypes mm. of East Asian women. And it's just, it's not done in Star Wars. And this movie did it. I, I just, I loved her as a character. And then I was so <laughs> enraged when they just wrote her out because I think she was a really interesting character and a very complex character as well because you know between like having this deep longer standing connection to the resistance and then to you know her experiencing her sister die for it and her being one of the only characters that we really see have a moment of grief that feels real in star wars I mean, we, we have the, the moment in from the original trilogy after Obi-Wan dies and, you know, Luke's sad and for some reason Leia has to comfort him, uh, mm. even though she knew of Obi-Wan Kenobi for a lot longer and is actually involved in, in the rebellion. But uh, that sort of reaction, like, sure, it's not like you're going to be happy this person died, but it's just they knew each other for like a few days, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Rose, this was her sister and, and you meet Rose's character as she's processing that grief. And she's also, I think, complex and has different layers because when we meet her, Finn is there and, and stumbles upon her. She's also a bit awkwardly too enamored because she's like a little bit of a fan of Finn, mm. but then just immediately does a complete about face and like tases him when she figures out that he's trying to leave and so right from the beginning we get to see that she is a smart quick level-headed and decisive person hmm. and really strong so it's like just in one scene you see the vulnerability of her processing grief to her jumping into action and showing this strength in it even for somebody that she was just excited about you know Mm. and i think that that also feels a bit unique for a star wars character as well and as we've talked about in in the past she is able to understand the the systems of oppression and how warfare and economics reinforce each other and who's benefiting from it she brings that to the narrative which Mm -hmm. is so vital to have there and and she's the one who brings it which i also love and then as i mentioned i think she undermines some stereotypes about asian american women and or asian women in general because she's a maintenance technician, which normally, if they're going to depict an Asian woman in films or TV, it's not as often, first of all, but usually they're not working in maintenance. So I, I like that. And she, you know, so often Asian women on screen are, at least in the US, have been so sexualized Mm. Uh, they're super skinny and tight or low-cut clothing or you know they have tons of makeup on etc and rose is not that her character is not done that way that's not why her character is there she's in this like kind of oversized not super attractive maintenance jumpsuit you know and and i love that and also another stereotype for Asian women on screen in the U.S. is that, you know, they're quiet or shy and she's not that way either. She She's willing to stand up to anyone and 
when when Finn talks over her in a scene, like she makes sure that she's heard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the only times that sexism and misogyny is like it's the only instance of it that I, I can really think of that it's like it's built into it as an example of sexism. It's not because it actually is sexist and they weren't trying to be sexist, it just was. Mm-hmm. It's it's for the purpose of critiquing that sexism. And, you know, also we have that with, with Poe defying Admiral Holdo's orders, which, which we've talked about in the past as well. And, you know, that's also in that movie. So I, I, I was really happy that they had that in there but also that her as an asian woman it's not just ah quiet i'll be here in the background and um no she's she's gonna stand up and uh yeah i i think she is a great character she as a character has helped keep me engaged in star wars as a fandom I I wouldn't have been as engaged in the newer movies, I think, if if she hadn't been there to, mm. to add the the depth and the nuance and the diversity that they've just been so sorely lacking for so long. Yeah, she's great and I love her. And <laughs> yeah. It's one of the reasons I really dislike the last movie. <laughs> but just one of the reasons. <laughs> there are many. But um, You can go back to yeah. our special episode to hear many more of them. Yes, you can. Um <laughs> She is a, an inspiring character to me, and and the first time that, like, having to wait until twenty eighteen to see a Asian female character in in Star Wars is just ridiculous. Uh, so, uh, at, at least I guess it finally happened for one <laughs> movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm so glad that you brought up Rose and, and seeing her through that intersectional lens because, you know, as, as a podcast, we are structured around single themes per week, but especially when it comes to themes like gender, race, class, etc., it's so important to see them through the, that kind of intersectional lens. And if we are just talking about gender without also seeing representations of race and how that is incorporated in media that is being created and consumed in our society, I think that we're missing a huge, huge portion. And and, and your insight and your, your discussion of uh, East Asian women's kind of stereotypical representations, I think, is, is really important to foreground how Rose's character is, in many ways, really groundbreaking, where we see a character who is so complex in so many ways and is not just defined by her, her race and gender. Yeah, I, I'm not Vietnamese, but uh, if we're talking about East Asian, you know, being half Japanese, I can at least understand more of ways that it's it's cutting across stereotypes where I don't feel like Star Wars has not just like a stereotype, but many, you know, mm. and it's also cutting across <laughs> the stereotype for women within Star Wars as well. So it's like it's it's cutting across many different stereotypes. And yeah, growing up, it, it's always been very frustrating how, to me how few movies, shows, anything star Asian characters. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been a weird process of growing up. 
<laughs> with what you're able to watch and actually relate to. And so I'm, I'm glad that at least one movie finally with Star Wars put a character in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the the treatment of Loan Tron, the, the actor who played Rose Tico, who's often known mm. as Kelly Marie Tran, the, the, just the, the amount of disrespect and, and hatred she got from so many of the fans who were threatened and felt just, yeah, hateful towards the idea of a woman of color participating in Star Wars was, I think, emblematic of the issues that are being faced by creating characters like that. And and it's not only a woman of color, but it's a woman of color how we don't like to see her. Maybe if she was super sexualized and, you know, these ridiculous, terrible, damaging tropes, maybe they would have been okay with it. Who knows, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and it, and it shows, too, how Star Wars has been able to get by with fans like this for so long. Um, and then, obviously, a bunch boycotted Rogue One because of the diversity. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> but But it is great that, as late as it came that we have characters like Rose Tico. You know, I think that's one, that is one of the benefits of having a, a kind of shared universe vision where it's not just George Lucas and the other kind of mostly white men that were creating the original trilogies and the prequels, but we are able to have more representation when we have new voices come in. And unfortunately, those voices are then replaced at times by people who don't treat those characters as well as they should be, as we saw in episode nine, but I'm, I'm very grateful that we, we do have it. For sure. I mean, and that's the thing that, that is a bit heartbreaking to me, and, and I, I, I was very excited, and, and it was part of my reinvigorated fandom for Star Wars after The Last Jedi because of interesting philosophical ideas like there shouldn't mm. be Sith or Jedi, right? There shouldn't be this dichotomy. And then there was also interesting characters like Rose. And then when all of that was like backtracked in, in the last movie, I think that was especially disappointing to me um, because it felt like we were getting somewhere with Star Wars. <laughs> and and now it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I'm the pessimist. <laughs> That, that is true. <laughs> I mean, I was so excited. I didn't even expect Rose. But then once you gave her to us and then you took her away. Yeah. yeah. Nope. But yes, I suppose we should move on to your plot point. Sure. When I was thinking about, about kind of how to look at the plot or setting of Star Wars and, and gender, everything came back to this just general perspective in the Star Wars galaxy that maintained the gender binary in a cisgendered heterosexual way and yeah i just i think that it's it's so interesting to see a science fiction and fantasy universe in which gender is so normalized even as we we see alien and non-organic species mm -hmm. in, in the expanded universe there have been species that do not conform to the gender binary. The Verpine sure. are a agendered society, although I don't think they exist in the current canon. The Chalhuddin were, were explained, I think, in a book uh, I read about that, and they have five genders throughout their their life their lifespan. Hmm. So there are some interesting things that that happen, but most of those are very much kind of out on the side. They certainly haven't been in any major. Movie. Are they marginalized? They certainly are, and. 
in the movies and and mostly and most of the TV shows and, and things like that that exist, you know, were really limited to this this binary gender. And and I especially found that it was interesting to see where that exists outside of traditional humanity. The the human race that exists in Star Wars seems to be essentially the same as the human race in our world. It does conform to a at least a sex in regards to reproduction things like that that would mostly fit with our conception of how humans reproduce um but there's also things even on our world that reproduce in all sorts of other ways that are agendered or hermaphroditic or outside of this binary that not only includes sex but gender roles that are brought onto it and instead we see how those gender roles are put onto areas that don't even include the sexual aspect of it sexual meaning like your your the way that your privates look and operate um but like the organs the organs thank you yeah those things. <laughs> <laughs> i was watching you struggle there <laughs> appreciate that but you know droids are are the best example the vast majority of the droids that we see are gendered as yeah. male we do see mm-hmm. L3 in Solo, who's gendered as female, but all of them are gendered. And she stands out because she's a female droid, but that is still gendered in and of itself. And and I would even Basically, argue... Basically, every other droid seems to be male. <laughs> mm-hmm, totally. And I would even argue that, that her gendering is even more intense because we see her have a really intimate relationship with Lando that I guess we couldn't have with a male-oriented droid. You know, it just feels like they had to make that character female if they wanted to have that relationship be as intimate as it was. And so they gender it in a completely different way. So yeah, I think that that's a really interesting element that droids themselves are are gendered in a way that is is just overwhelmingly male and then gendered female in ways that are, I think, inherently tied to a kind of heteronormativity. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it even goes beyond droids. The other the other thing that came to my mind was Jabba the Hutt and Jabba's yeah. palace having human and Twi'lek, but female humanoid sex slaves in mm-hmm. this area that are heavily sexualized in a way that I am curious because does Jabba find sexual power or or desire for humanoid females it's such an interesting concept that jabba this this very alien one of the most alien characters that we see in just regards to how different they are from traditional humanity is Mm -hmm. still conforming to exerting his power through this gendered lens and this gendered form in creating sex slavery uh for, for for leia and yeah, I just, I think that that's wild. I, I was reading just on the Wikipedia that apparently, at least in the Legends canon, huts are hermaphroditic. They they are able to re- reproduce asexually themselves. And so I don't know what... Then why? Yeah, then why? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Then why? Why then are why? these choices made? And... Why is Jabba a he, you know? And, and then we see in, in Clone Wars, we see female gendered huts and... Why is that a thing? Why aren't they they? Why aren't, you know, they're, so yeah, there's, there's just, I think, Star Wars, as it expands its universe, and it brings in elements that go beyond even the biological sex that exists within humanity, 
just show the continued audacity of maintaining within that gendered lens because not only does it not conform to humanity of its itself but that is that that further kind of gender conformity that's pushed upon people in our society is pushed on characters who aren't even in our society C- characters who wouldn't be gendered in the same way as we would biologically and shouldn't be in regards to their gender either and yeah i, I just think that 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 it shows a, a really uh just a pervasive cishet norm that exists in the, in the series. Yeah, because they don't only have a problem with sex, which is the biological, but they also have a problem with gender, which is the constructed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is true. And actually, to, to respond to a couple of your things goes in, normally I'm supposed to ask you a question for, you for are. a compelling question, but I'll ask the question and then I'll kind of respond to a couple of things that you were talking about and okay. then I'll let you respond. <laughs> great. I appreciate you letting me respond on my podcast, the podcast I share with you. That's Did great. you just I, say I my that, podcast? On, I, yeah. I was going to go for like the <laughs> Talk podcast, about gender. The, the podcast that, that I am a co-host of and yet you are giving me permission to respond. But yeah, sure. That I have to do more work for. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. That's true. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So my question, which you've already tapped into, is where do you see either helpful or harmful portrayals of gender in Star Wars? Mm. Obviously, you've been touching on the harmful or I guess subpar at the very least (laughs) a generous way of putting it yeah (laughs) but um and yeah you touched on a couple things that i was thinking about for for the harmful ways one is the the sexual exploitation slash slavery in the return of the jedi yeah i think it's very 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 problematic not because i mean Okay, so she is shown to have, like, she was forced into this position against her will, right? Mm. So that does happen. What's problematic is that it's put on screen and it's just a little tiny bit of a plot that didn't even need to be there, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, She didn't need to be a sex slave to be captured in Jabba's palace. And... The fact that then from that people cosplay as this and there are action figures and there are all of these different things based off of her as a sexually exploited woman is just heinous. And, you know, I know that Carrie Fisher has said that she thought it was great that she you know she was forced to be in this position and then Leia kills the the person that imprisoned her and and forced her to do this Mm. and like sure I can understand that idea but the problem is that's not how fans interact with it and that's not the point that's necessarily being driven home and we never see another single instance where her experience of that affects her as a character it would absolutely affect her for the rest of her life and to just completely ignore that because you wanted to put her in this very revealing outfit is not okay and it's upsetting to me not only as a woman but as as somebody who's had studied and and worked in for a bit of time uh, anti-sex trafficking and so 
Yeah, I, I think that that is a very damaging portrayal. I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that in addition, even the way that, that circumstances solved or what have you in the story where she chokes Jabba to death and kills him is itself problematic because mm-hmm. it's all about the catharsis of her getting back at her her enslaver but it's not dealing with the fact that she's not the only slave in this establishment and no one was doing anything about this beforehand yeah. before it happened to her and no the other people the other women who were enslaved got blown up that's yeah and 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 luke comes in being like i don't want to fight you just give me han and i'll leave and i'll allow you to continue to exist as this crime lord who is participating in sex trafficking and exploitation and and all these other things and, and, and I mean, that just reminds me of, it's not sexualized the same way, but the way that in episode one, qui and Obi-Wan are like, we don't cover the Outer Rim. Slavery happens out here. That's just as, as simple as it is. And it's it's mm-hmm. this kind of, in the world building of Star Wars, there is this implicit allowance of these continued systems of oppression that just don't go addressed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've I've heard of this, it's almost like a trope now where it's like, oh, this woman in this movie or this TV show was raped or sexual violence was done to her. And now she goes and, and, and kills the perpetrator. And as if that's just supposed to be some empowering thing. I mean, that's that's not how the real world works. You can't just go kill somebody who raped you. Mm-hmm. you will go to prison for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, probably. Depends, you know, what race the different parties are and, you know, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. But in general, that that's not how it works. And, oh, so now your trauma is gone because you kill. You know, that, that's, that's not the answer to a healing from... Maybe it would be for some people, but that's not... One, what most people who experience these things actually would ever be able to do in their life. Mm-hmm. And two, if it would actually help them in their process of processing and, or, or if it would contribute to just a new way that they really need therapy and, and professional help to be able to deal with these horrific things that have happened to them you know and and it's yeah i i feel like it's almost this trope now of like oh we don't actually have to deal with the consequences of what happens to real women because it's just you can kill the perpetrator and and now that storyline's done Mm -hmm. then also just to respond to what you were saying about droids i i completely agree as well and it's something that's always fresh for me, not just in Star Wars, but in, in anything also. Uh, I, I haven't even finished reading the, the Mistborn series, and, and part of that is because I've been frustrated with some things. And one of the things that frustrates me in this and, and several other things where people put in characters that are they're either gender neutral or they don't have sex in their race. And when series tried to put that in there but then they don't follow along with it Mm. (laughs) just drives me up the wall because it's like droids in their essence they would have not have a sex and having a gender would also be 
weird since it's a societally constructed thing and they are computers mm -hmm. and we still are never sure how much agency they have we're not sure you know so at the very least it would be something that would be put on them potentially um we're not talking about programming that's done differently it's like oh we program in these differences so <laughs> it gives them gender or something like none of that is talked about and and so yeah that that just always frustrates me because it's like ah oh, you have the opportunity to like do something different here to do something Especially, you know, at the time in the 70s, something pushing boundaries of for what's seen on screen and, and what stories are told. But at the very least, for the prequels, it should have been, like, in there, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's that. But now I'll let you answer the question, <laughs> which is, where do you see helpful or harmful portrayals of gender in Star Wars? Okay. So, for helpful i'm going to go outside of the movies into uh, the comic books because okay. in 2017 i think when marvel took over the comic book line they introduced a character called dr afra who is one of my favorite characters in the star wars universe and so far has only been in comic books and i think maybe one audiobook she is essentially the kind of dark mirror version of Indiana Jones, where she is an archaeologist, but she like she's introduced in Darth Vader's comic as someone who works for him to help him get all these old Sith artifacts and things like that. And hmm. she runs around with an R2 unit and a protocol unit, but they're murder droids who love murdering things. So she's she is chaotic neutral at best. Um <laughs> But she sounds she, interesting. She's super interesting. And, and she has this very interesting uh, kind of chaotic nature when it comes to academia, for example, where it didn't fit her and in, in the kind of prescriptions they're placing on her. And so she kind of went outside of those bounds. And that made her in and of itself a, a, a criminal. Um, and then she also likes money. So she goes along with it and sells things in the black markets and works for the Sith and, and all these other types of interesting elements. But she is canonically queer and she is cool. just a character who is not I think a character who is defined by her her femaleness in ways that that are just I think actually well done this this episode itself is not you know sexuality but I think that sexuality and, and gender interact and, and intersect in very important ways and her queerness I think is represented in such a such a natural and, and, and well-done way where she has multiple kind of exes and partners who come up in the story, and it's never about, oh, and you are with this character who, who has also been with male characters, and so is that okay? Like, it's just, these are who these characters are, and, and she has a, a kind of forbidden romance with an Imperial character when she's on the run from the Empire, and, like, that's just hmm. treated the way it would be treated otherwise, and, and there's just, I think, a really well-done aspect of her as a character who, similar to Rose, is not defined by her her gender, but is able to be a complex, interesting character and is a woman. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that would definitely be or where I think a really interesting new representation of, of gender ha has been and where I found. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, I've, I've only read the majority of the first run of their comics, but I haven't read the last probably year and a half or so but i i really really enjoyed everything i read 
when when she first came out and when I was first reading through is she became yeah maybe my favorite character in in the Star Wars comics which was pretty great. Well, that's that's cool. At least, that is cool. At least she exists. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to that go back to the movies, to that's when the the, her, the harmful area comes because one of the things that I was reading when I was thinking about this episode was the L.A. Times did a study of every single line that was uttered in all the the first eight Star Wars movies. This is before Nine came out. And Mm -hmm. basically they're saying, who is saying the most lines per movie? Surprise, surprise, is overwhelmingly male. What? I am shocked and astounded. (laughs) It's not until I think episode seven that there's more than two women who are in the top 15 characters with lines in a film. Well, and I don't think that any Star Wars movie even passes the Bechtel test until The Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And so yeah, so so they're just the way that that characters are treated on screen is implicitly but uh, harmfully gendered. And one of the, one of the interesting things I found from this study was they they also noted how many lines were said between characters. Uh, and actually this really cool randomizer where you can randomize any two characters in the movies and see how many lines each of them said to each other. Oh, interesting. It's really cool. But That's kind of cool. Maybe we should put a link in in the episode description. Definitely. <laughs> People yeah, want to yeah. check it out. Absolutely. But one of the things they found is that in the first in, in the first two fe- films featuring Rey in episode 7 and 8, her interactions with all four of the main characters that she interacted with, who I think it was like Finn, Han, Luke, and Kylo, all of them, she spoke fewer words than they spoke to her. And so even in the conversations the that she's that having... The person that she's supposed to be the, the star. Mm-hmm. She is being spoken to more than she's actually speaking with these people, uh, <laughs> these male characters, right? And so just the way things are written are done in ways that I think could be problematic. And that's not the case with every character and that, you know, we could maybe argue that it's just because Rey is, a, you know, not a verbose character. I know that, for example... Um, uh, Padme is a much more verbose character in her interactions than than Rey is, but it still, I think, is is showing this tendency for uh, kind of male dominated spaces and lines in in these films. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you mentioned Amidala that um, her and Leia. I think something that we could say would be a positive to how they're portrayed is they're both senators Mm -hmm. and especially leia that was in the the 70s and she's telling luke and han what to do when they're getting into trouble and she's like what what are you doing you know like in general she's uh she doesn't just take orders and she knows a lot more than the others do which i i think that that's a nice progressive thing for the 70s to to be shown on screen Mm -hmm. Um, it it is weird though that both of them also have to be like a princess and a queen like i don't understand the whole royal senators (laughs) thing (laughs) in the star wars universe like can you be a woman and a senator without being royalty That part, then we enter the more problematic area again mm-hmm. because She's princesses in the and queens as... are not elected. Yeah, <laughs> they do yeah. they do not earn their 
well, their Queen, role. And Queen Amidala technically is elected, but yes, otherwise, yeah. That's true. They have an interesting society. Yeah. But but so. the fact that, you know, even as she was kind of transgressing these norms in the 70s, she was still billed as Princess Leia. She was not Senator Leia. She was not even Leia Organa. She was Princess Leia. And, and Oh, yeah. and then in The Rise of Skywalker, they want to regress and return to that that title rather than calling her uh, general yeah but but both of them i think are shown to be very competent and uh, authoritative which totally which is good i i think with the exception of ray in in the movies unfortunately women are shown to be largely not possessing significant force powers mm. and then obviously in in the rise of skywalker you know just kind of stripping away leia's powers narratively but at least in in the clone wars animated show there are some great examples of of, of strong jedi and and sith who are who are female so mm-hmm. that's that's good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true i mean apparently they can't be on screen in in a movie theater but I, I mean, I'm glad that Rey was was the central Jedi that that we're looking at in in the newest series, and so there's that. I Another agree. positive that I would say is that Admiral Holdo in in the Last Jedi, I do like that she has this like really cool hair, and she's in this incredibly feminine purple outfit, mm-hmm. but she is an admiral and she is the one who is promoted and she is the one who has the authority and and had a a smart plan i mean people could argue she should have told poe i mean if if we're going with military structure which i don't like personally because that's not how i work well Mm -hmm. in the world (laughs) but um if you are if you were saying that we have a military structure there's absolutely no reason she needed to tell him because that that's not how that works mm-hmm. <laughs> there is rank and she had a higher rank but i i think it's was really cool that she can have that rank and she doesn't have to put on a masculine wardrobe to do so which is um common so that i think it's a positive as well yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Another another really good example of a an interesting female character who is represented outside of of what we see as traditional gender roles. For sure. But do, uh, are there any others that you have or should we move into your question? We should probably move on. Okay. So, my question is, how do you think things would be different if Luke and Leia were swapped in who they were raised by? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think some of Leia's confidence and some of her level of responsibility and her, yeah, just achievement at such a young age is due in part to a family that she was able to be brought up in who really supported that and totally encouraged her in that. Whereas Luke, the, his hopes and dreams were kind of shoved aside for for the sake of of what needed to be done in this moisture farming i don't even know are they the only ones who are doing this in the area i'm not (laughs) sure we don't really get to go into what all's going on in tatooine but yeah i think 
things would have been different. Obviously, there's some personality things that maybe would have been there regardless. So maybe Leia would have been pushing back against her aunt and uncle from the beginning, mm -hmm. you know. And maybe she just wouldn't have taken being told to, to wait on what she wanted to do. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's, you know, the nature nurture is, you know, of course, a complicated question and not one that anyone can actually really prove well because babies have to interact with humans or, or they don't survive. So right. it would be less weird for me to imagine her in the Tatooine space than it would be for me to imagine Luke on Alderaan as mm. like a prince. <laughs> yeah. That just feels very odd to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think she would have been the one to be trained as a Jedi then, mm -hmm. right? And he probably would have just gone off and been a pilot for or no, maybe not necessarily gone off, but he would have he would have been a pilot in in the rebellion. Hmm. Yeah, it, it would be very interesting. I, I'm not sure I haven't delved into books and, and stuff or even right. a ton of background information, so I'm not totally sure, but I would be very interested to see what Leia did as a senator. Mm. I know, obviously, the Empire was already there, so there wasn't a whole lot that could be done. It was more almost like a puppet government than anything else. So that that would be very interesting to see if, if there was anything that wouldn't have happened because she was not a senator. I mean, I think she would have been strong and probably awesome either place. <laughs> I don't know how Luke would have been. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. And, and obviously you're right, you know, who, who knows how much of their personalities are, are created by their, their families. But in this kind of alternate universe questioning, I'm, I'm thinking that for the most part, Leia is a bit more kind of headstrong and confident than Luke is. And so I could imagine her, yeah, like you said, kind of struggling against Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru a little bit more than, than Luke does. And I could even see her kind of going out and finding Obi-Wan on her own, even before the droids arrive. And... I definitely yeah. think... I've sensed something in the Force. Yeah, yeah. Or just something's... You know, who, why is there a wizard out here? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I definitely think that as soon as she talked to him and was like, you know my dad? And he's like, yeah, we fought together in the uh, in the wars. But then he was uh, killed by Darth Vader. She'd be all like, Darth Vader's my dad, huh? I think she would have gotten it like <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Or she'd be like, why should I trust anything you have to tell me? <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> and then for Luke, I, I can see him kind of going in either direction, where I think that um, his idealism and his kind of dreaming can either have taken him to, as you mentioned, like, just become a freedom fighter, not even a senator, but like, just straight up. Oh, no, Luke would not have been a good senator. <laughs> go to the rebellion. But on the other hand, I think that Luke does have a, a kind of a more passive and and kind of Hufflepuffian uh, kind of way about him than she does. And I, I think that that he could perhaps be a really effective senator if that's the, the area that he was raised in, where he would actually be a great diplomat and be a little bit more clueless and maybe not go into the rebellion 
the way that Leia did, but actually just try to really believe in, in the ideals of democracy and try to, through the Senate, kind of maintain those in a way that uh, that was really much more focused on diplomacy and less on kind of being in, in battles and stuff the way that, that Leia felt more comfortable with. So I could see him kind of going either way, even even either going even further into the rebellion or kind of step, stepping away from that. I love how you think a, a Hufflepuff would make a good senator. I, I don't know if we have any of those. So good Maybe in, they would make a good one. <laughs> yeah, good in the sense of what I would want out of a, a, a diplomat, which is someone who is empathetic <laughs> and good at discussing things over and compromising and these other and negotiating these other things that that should be there instead of someone who's just a political hack. Yeah. I mean, I would just like ra- actual Ravenclaw so they would <laughs> talk about science and things. That would that would be my ideal. <laughs> but alas. Alas. No science for our country. <laughs> I will say one thing, uh, though, is that apparently I, I did read that the uh, Alderanian braids for the royal family is a, not a gendered thing. So Prince Luke would also have the buns and braids that Leia had. Oh, the buns, too. Yeah, apparently. So not even how they dress them. <laughs> well, that would have been very interesting. See, that would have pushed some gender boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly, this should have been what it, it was from the beginning. Clearly, clearly. And I know for a fact there are some fan fictions that have explored this in much further depth. <laughs> oh, I would expect nothing less. I've seen some great fan art for sure, but uh, yeah, yeah. Go, archive of our own, I'm sure, has plenty. <laughs> I may need to look up some of this fan art. <laughs> Well, we should move into our missed opportunities. Yeah, so mine is, which you touched on a little bit already, that the amount of prominent female characters to male characters, like that ratio is just abysmal. And with the exception of The Last Jedi, I think every, yeah, every Star Wars movie is basically like, here's a bunch of men and this one white woman who's important. And, you know, then that makes all the feminism that happens in Star Wars white feminism. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it just doesn't do much for furthering conversations. And, and honestly, you know, Star Wars has rarely tried to deal with conversations ar- around not only gender, but almost anything controversial, <laughs> potentially controversial, things that shouldn't be controversial, but still are in our society for some reason, you know, they, they've never really tried to deal with any of those conversations head on. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's why, one of the reasons why the Star Wars is able to have such a toxically masculine fan base. I mean, obviously not everybody is who who is a Star Wars fan. I mean, we're, we're podcasting about it right now. <laughs> right. But they can exist there because it doesn't deal with any of these conversations. And the movie that's gotten the biggest backlash actually did deal with it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously exactly why they should be included in in the movies because they do things a little better possibly in some of the cartoons or comics as you were talking about or some of the books but um we're talking about the most mainstream of the mainstream that they should be doing it and it's it's 2020 
anything less is just it's not cutting it for the standards to which we should hold series yeah my missed opportunity is that they need to do gender better we'll just stick to gender because that's the topic of this <laughs> episode <laughs> we we have probably dozens of other ones by this point where you can uh, see the other missed opportunities that they have in these other other areas but yeah that that's absolutely true what about you what, what's your missed opportunity well my missed opportunity is going to take us on another trip to the what's Chris learning in grad school segment. Oh, yay. (laughs) Because what I was thinking about here was how the empire is like a fascist government and a fascist type of of hierarchy. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't incorporate in any way that are that's explicit in the films, the aspect of fascism that is entirely patriarchal. Fascist governments throughout history have built themselves on a violent male dominating nationalism that has really been tied the nationalism itself and the the concepts of state themselves have been tied inherently to patriarchal control over women and valuing women as mothers who provide soldiers and workers for the state and that being the role of women in society and it being again tied to a nationalistic kind of principle where the nation is itself depicted as masculine and as violent and expanding and this this guiding disciplinary hand of the fatherland or of the 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 father state whereas yeah the mothers are this certainly second class citizenry that is meant in the most part to create children and to mother men in particular and to very occasionally work when labor is needed when there is a a a dearth of labor women can move into the workforce yeah and even that they would prefer to instead have slavery or or conquered countries or, or you know other kinds of forms of of exploitation instead but uh Wouldn't they always yeah <laughs> yeah which right. which of course comes with its own ideas of you know sexual enslavement and coercion and, and all these other kinds of things so so yeah i just i think that it would have been really great to see how the empire deals with gender in that case because so much of of i think the history of patriarchy has been at least marginally and and culturally tied to concepts of women as valued for their motherhood and Mm -hmm. you know what does that mean in a society like the empire where you know they're they're certainly thinking long term and sure they have the ability to clone people instead of actually having to to wait for for traditional forms of of child rearing but uh and they can just get droids to do the battles for them right totally but they still also rely on stormtroopers who aren't clones by the time episode four comes around so so Mm -hmm. you know what is that that has to come with these kinds of cultural concepts and and while i know again in the expanded universe there are basically propaganda and cultural ministries the same way that existed in totalitarian governments within our own history but i just would love to see more of that and see the the women in the empire being cognizant of that within their rebellion yeah that would have been really really fascinating i agree that's why i brought it up (laughs) (laughs) so i guess my takeaway is (laughs) i don't know it's 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 a sad takeaway (laughs) it's that i think 
Star Wars in the 70s started out stronger than it's definitely ended in terms of gender or feminism. It just didn't really progress ever after. Hmm. And because of that, where you see things being more subversive in, in terms of gender construction, gender roles, how sex is defined and within different species of, of aliens, all of those more interesting or potentially groundbreaking things are relegated to the margins. And I, I think that that sends a message that Star Wars, like, that's not the place for it. Like, yeah, you can engage with it on the sidelines, but we don't want that at the center. So hmm. I think, yeah, I don't know. That's that's just the message that I feel from it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that my takeaway is similar in that I, I really want to honor, I, I've, I've read and heard so many women who talk about how for them Princess Leia was a, a important role model, an important character to exist for them in regards to female representation. And mm-hmm. um, obviously she's not, her representation is not free of problematic aspects itself as we discussed, but I do want to honor that that was important while at the same time noting that the bar is raised now. It's not the 1970s and 80s anymore. And we <laughs> yeah. need to ask more of uh, of the things that we love. And I think that Star Wars, you know, it has these elements that, that, that bring hope. For example, I know that they had a series of free web episode short animated series uh that entirely featured women throughout the Star Wars canon, from the prequels to the Clone Wars to uh, to Rey, like all sorts of different characters, which was really well done and and critically acclaimed, but never really got a huge following. But I think was a good way of you know highlighting that the female characters are important and they have stories to tell as well. But it would be great to see that as more of a priority, particularly in kind of the mainline series and, and things like that. And then to to also follow through when, when you get characters like Rose Tico who are kind of set up as really trailblazing characters who can lead the series in ways that, that they haven't been allowed to yet. Yeah, yeah. And Disney, if you're out there listening, I'm sure you've stopped listening at this point. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like for them to think about the messages they are sending with who they have in the center, who they have talking, who they have as Jedi, who they have as Sith, you know, all of these different things, what they do with droids, like it all matters. Making a spectacle isn't enough. Almost any movie can do that nowadays, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, audience, for listening to part two of our Rise of Skywalker hate cast. (laughs) I should just do my own episode. (laughs) Just talking about this stuff even more. (laughs) Well, what will we be talking about next week? Yeah, so we're going to be returning to Harry Potter, and we are going to be looking at this series through the theme of bias or prejudice well thank you so much for listening to this week's episode you can find links to our social media and our email and some of the things that we mentioned in today's episode in our show notes you can also join us on patreon by going to patreon.com slash geek between the lines 
We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.